one of the great things about Playwright is it works across many languages. So you're a JavaScript or TypeScript developer, you can write using that. You're a Python developer, you can write using Python. You're a Java developer, you can write using Java. You're a .NET developer, you can write using .NET. And that's kind of really helpful because then you don't have to change your language to use Playwright, right? You can choose the language that best suits you. And then you've got lots of other things like so much like parallelism for free, right? That's just works out of the box. Um, test isolation. So Playwright creates a new browser context, which means all your tests, every single test has this new context and you don't have to do any cleaning up between tests. So everything basically just, um, it's like kind of starting up a new incognito window each time. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Debbie O'Brien, who is a senior senior program manager at Microsoft, and she's coming to advocate for Playwright today. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Thank you very much, Paul. It's nice to be here. Um, yes, I'm here to talk about Playwright and hopefully get the whole world testing their applications. Because testing's important and we never do it, so... Anything to urge us in the direction of doing Yeah, why, why do we never do it? This is the whole thing. Why? What, what's going on in the world? And you know what's weird is when you build, I tried the whole test-driven development thing once and I was like, whoa. I no, that's really hard. I, I don't well, do that. I did it for a small little Flask project and I wrote out all my requirements when it was really great and that convinced me, wow, testing might, testing might be good. So yeah, why don't we do it? I don't know, but you're here to convince us that it's easier than we think and that are really good tools out there and that and we should get on it. So yeah, just, just to get straight to the cut to the chase here, Playwright is an end-to-end testing framework, right? Correct. So um, the whole aim is to try and make you test your applications end-to-end. Um, so automate it, right? Because if you remember way back, uh, people were like writing all that, like testing on his, on their own. So they like take out a form and fill out the whole form and then press send and see if it works. And go, yes, it works. And then like, or it doesn't. And then go back and do it all over again. And that's a lot of time wasted, right? If we can automate that. So you write one test and then it's just going to fill all that in in seconds, super fast because computers are faster than us. And then like send it, we know that that's going to work. So we want to automate our tests. We want our tests to be easy. We want to make testing fun. And obviously, like, you know, Playwright is open source, which means it's free. And that's very important as well, because people want to use free tools um, and have a great community around it. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're getting to this really nice place in software now where it's like if you're not building with open source, you might want to rethink some of it. Not saying everybody can just build with open source, but lots of stacks now have open source everywhere. So it's really great to hear Playwright's open source. I think a lot of community members are going to latch onto that and it's going to be a real driving factor if it gets included in the stack or not. Yeah, because it's community driven, right? Not driven by by a corporation. Even though we're under Microsoft, it's community driven. So if you want something done, a new feature, you got to create an issue. And it doesn't matter where you work. It matters how many people upvote that and basically want that, right? Because we want to drive it where the community wants it to be driven. And um, that's kind of what makes it really cool. So if somebody was listening to the podcast and they say, wait, wait, all right, I do test driven develop or end-to-end development i accidentally said test driven i do end-to-end development why should they look and play right like what's something off the bat that you love talking about that's just really easy to see how playwright's different there are so many things um like there's so many things but like there's basically playwright one of the great things about playwright is it works across many languages right so you're a javascript or typescript developer you can write using that 
you're a Python developer, you can write using Python. You're a Java developer, you can write using Java. You're a .NET developer, you can write using .NET. And that's kind of really helpful because then you don't have to change your language to, um, to use Playwright, right? You can choose the language that best suits you. And then you've got lots of other things like um, so much like parallelism for free, right? That just works out of the box. Um, test isolation. So Playwright creates a new browser context, which means all your tests, every single test has this new context and you don't have to do any cleaning up between tests. So everything basically just, um, it's like kind of starting up a new incognito window each time. Sort of, it feels like that's a very functional approach where each test is its own like thing, it's its own universe. Yeah, it means like, you know, when that test breaks, you don't have to go, oh, did something happen in another test to cause that? No, it's that test broke and that only test, whatever broke happened in that test and you can like debug that much easier. So you got a lot less flakiness because of that. So test isolation is super important. Um, and then there's other things like te we have a generator to help generate code. We have a trace viewer so you can go back in time and see like what happened at each stage, like better than a video. You can actually like, you know, step-by-step step look at it and then like inspect the DOM because it's a DOM snapshot. And it's so hard to say on a podcast because I can't show you anything visually, but it's really, really cool. <laughs> it's it's funny bringing that up because I think at LogRocket, there's some similar technology about understanding the DOM tree and then being able to retroactively go through all the events that happen um, in sort of like a timeline and debug something, which I know has been an extremely powerful feature that like customers have been like wow this, like i find bugs i never even knew i could find so having that where you can make your own test from the get-go i'm sure you can discover things about even the way you wrote the, the structure of the code it, seeing it step through yeah you can actually write better code because as you're like you know creating the selectors to, to write your tests and then it might the test might break right because there's a strict mode violation you kind of say hey i've got like two things with the same kind of class or the same name let's create a better selector and then you kind of you can use the pick selector so you can start selecting things. You might select an image and then you might realize, hang on, wouldn't it be better to you know, get it by the alt tag? And you might realize you've got no alt tag in your image. And you're like, oh my God, I need to fix that. So you end up fixing your code as well by creating better tests, right? So it's kind of kind of mixing in, in creating your tests, improving your code. Um, and it's a nice way to kind of like make sure your code is great and your tests are good. Speaking of uh, like, checking for alt text as a person who dabbles in front end but is not a front end person that's something that i would almost never put in unless i was somebody told me to put it what? in really that's so terrible i make websites for me and my brother and for this app i want to show off and that's and that's about it you know i'm, I'm a back-end person at heart so when i hear oh i'm gonna search by alt text if i was writing a website i want alt text in my things like i want to make sure it's seo optimized it's made for all sorts of content delivery if I want to take a test that like targeted alt text, is there a plugin sort of community or a, um, can I go grab somebody else's end-to-end -end test or boilerplate somehow and use that? Well, you can do accessibility text, uh, testing with the X-Core plugin, right? So you can, you can test that as well. But always with accessibility testing, um, it's like when you do it with, you know, Lighthouse tests and stuff, it's never 100% sure on accessibility. So you really do need to like always check that bit more. Um, but I think going back to your point, you said you don't put alt tags in and, and this is the problem that people have right now on Twitter, right? I don't know if you're doing it now when you put the alt tag in the image. Do you do that when you're adding a, an image to oh, Twitter? Oh gosh, it's been like a year or two since I've made a front end project, but no, but on Twitter, you, like when you're sending a tweet, do you add an alt tag when you're sending oh. a tweet? Oh, uh, no. Well, you see, you should, right? Because if you get in the habit of doing it, 
after a while, it just becomes normal to add your tweet, submit your image and add the alt tag. And that's kind of what, you know, we should be trying to get is creating little habits. So when you're building your website, you automatically create that alt tag. You automatically put it in because it's a habit. And now here's where we need to change things. Testing should become a habit. So when you create that page, you should now go and test that page. And once that becomes a habit, it's now like not something like an afterthought, which is the problem right now. Testing is once we finish the application, we're ready to hand it in. It's like, oh, let's write tests. No, it should be a habit, something that gets done along the way, just like putting those alt tags in. Do you think that this mentality of testing is more prevalent in a front end context than a back end? Uh, I find that that sort of pushing the can down the road happens a lot because you get really involved with, wow, look at all these features we're making and cool UI things. And it's easy to delay testing, but at least in some backend work, like you can't even go to phase two unless you figure out some data about phase one, which requires writing some automated tests and and, th- and things like this. I, there is a little bit of a difference, even though the problem is still <laughs> extremely prevalent. Yeah, I think I think a lot of companies as well left testing to the QA engineers. And we're seeing a lot more now that developers are starting to test. So the front end developers or full stack developers are the ones who are writing the test. And then some companies now don't have QA engineers or still have them, but that's like your last step. And you should be able to like easily, you know, debug your tests on the developer side of things and getting developers to write tests as a common standard. And then like, you know, your QA should be easy, right? It should be just, everything should just work, which makes it easier. Obviously things break. So, you know, there's obviously a need for still for QA engineers. Um, And sometimes QA engineers are doing only the testing, which is also fine. So every company works different, I think. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. So if people want to start testing, right, they hear they hear the what you're saying, and they're like, "All right, we're going to try to change this for our project. We're going to go check out. We're going to go check out end-to-end testing. What is uh, maybe a feature that you can broadcast that makes testing more approachable right now?" Yeah. So if you use VS Code, you basically just go and go to the extensions and start search for Playwright, install it. And then it's going to tell you, like, which browsers do you want to install? So you'll install, you know, uh, Safari, Firefox, and Chromium. And install a GitHub Actions workflow. So then it's going to work on CI um, automatically on push and pull requests without you having to set up anything else. So it's easy, right? And then you install that. And it comes with a kind of a, a little example test. And all you've got to do then is press the green triangle on the test file, and you can run the test. So now in, like, a matter of seconds, you install, set it up, and run your first test. And then you can use the test generator to get you started and write your second test, which basically opens up a window. You start clicking away. It records your actions. It puts that in a test file, saved into VS Code. And now you've got a test. Is it a perfect test? Maybe not. You need to go and then kind of like add some web assertions, make it a little bit better, improve it. But you've got to test that up in, in five minutes. If I say to everyone, in five minutes, go and test it out. Give it a try. Um, you'll have a test written. I think one of the most beautiful things that you just mentioned is the fact that you can do this all in VS Code. Like that is a really awesome sandbox for a lot of people to try out new technologies. And so if people are taking one thing away from this, you can go install an extension. It's 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 that simple. Yeah. And it means like you don't have to open the terminal. There's a lot of people who are kind of like, you know, terminal fear and there's too many code. What do I do? Ah, this is all visual, which I love because it's like click beautiful green triangles and and the error messaging of your test breaks is really nice because it can tell you exactly where you're going wrong. So yeah, it's it's a really nice way to get started and just never leave VS Code. Just 
kind of write your tests and it'll open the browser and it'll show the test running. It'll open that browser and go through every step so you can visually see it as well, which is really helpful. So I can assume if you're using the test generator thing you talked about, which seems like magic to me, you're kind of like replicating the DOM actions that you're emitting on, on onto this test page and it's going to document them and, and re-perform them, correct? Yeah. So it just goes through all your actions and, and as you click, it's going to put them on the page. It doesn't do a web assertion. So you've got to then go along and say, expect um, this button with text get started to be visible, right? So you can modify it a little bit. Um, that's why I said you, you need to make your test a little bit better. But it will record every single interaction you do. Whatever you do, it's going to click and record that. And it, I guess it produces some sort of declarative text file that is like, this is this is the test. Um, this it includes your test. So your actual test file, your spec dot test file. So the actual test, that's it. And then you just press play and it will run it. So it's almost, I can think of this test file as a script and it's it's going to it's gonna do its thing. What if I recorded me, let's say, putting in a username, a password that was deliberately wrong and then, and then I hit login and I wanted to expect some error. And I'm like, okay, th this was cool, but I want to try like the set of well-known like SQL injection characters. <laughs> like I want to try a loop of things. I want, I have this whole like set of inputs I want to try. Is that something you could just go into a recorded test file and maybe make it into an iterative sort of structure? I mean, you're thinking kind of backendy stuff, right? Um, I am, yeah. Probably, yeah. So, so like for the input, if you want to do kind of like testing regex stuff and whatever, that's something you do like at a at a unit level and not at the end to end because you're re you're kind of making sure that it works. So you're not looking for every single edge case of someone trying to inject something into your code, right? That's that's something more the back end I would say would take care of more than the front end. Remember, the front end is that the user is able to log in; they're able to add something that works and it logs in. And if they add a password that doesn't work, it should not log in. It should bring you to a, I don't know, 404 page or a, you got an error message, click here and try again, or, you know, send a new password or whatever. So I've def, I, I totally get that. I've seen a few tests in my time working when I dabble in the front end where people say like, try this input, then try this input and then try this, but it's not massive. It's just, there, there may be like a few similar ones trying a similar progression where they intentionally error it out within this end-to-end this -end testing framework are there ways that you can you know modularize the test or is it very much like each one's its own functional component and then you'll build up your library from there so you mentioned a word component there and and there's two different things right so you've got component testing you've got end-to-end -end testing so you can basically take a whole um, functionality of, say, a shopping cart. And where does it start? It starts with going to the homepage of X shop and then literally like, you know, searching for a product and clicking that product and adding it into the shopping cart and then paying for it and going to the whole process. And that's the end-to-end -end experience from start to end. And then you've got the component testing, which literally tests that component in isolation. So for example, the shopping cart, you want to test that you're able to add a product and remove a product from the cart. And you can put that shopping cart on any page, it could be in the header menu, um, in the you know big drop-down kind of menu. It could be in the footer. It could be on another page. So you want to test that component works, and then you can be like slotted in anywhere, which is different than to the end-to-end -end going from start to finish. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. 
yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. That that thing I, I was hoping that you'd say, yes, you can like modular. It, it's built in. It's built in via the way we build websites. You can test a component you can have that component test and you can, can you take those component tests and build them into an end-to-end test? So component testing is a little bit different and you have to install the component testing. It's still experimental at the moment. And once you start building like component tests, that test lives in the component, right? Um, It only tests that component and you can visually see that. So you can, when you press play on your test, it will open up that browser and it will show the component in in like isolation, right? So it's got no header, it's got no footer, it's got nothing else, only whatever is in that component. If you have global styles, you can add them in, um, but it will basically take that component as it is. So you can test that component, say, yeah, this component works, which is really good, especially if you're building like component libraries, right? And you're using that component across various, you know, companies or as as a package. Um, And then you've got your end-to-end testing, which you're testing that whole shopping cart experience um, from end-to-end or any other part of the website. But the tests can live side by side. Um, You just have to run them differently because running component tests and running your end-to-end tests are different commands, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like two different modules that you can build up with. Um, So if people wanted to... Component testing is still what you said in in beta or... Yes, it's still experimental, yeah. So if people want to at least check out the the thing playwrights already excelling at the end to end test um, would you say it's better geared for one front front end framework or the other or does it really lend itself to be as adaptable for svel nextjs like plain old react there's a lot of different server side staticky things going on these days so yeah so for end to end testing you can test anything like you can test anything that's web based right so once it's in the browser and works in the browser you can test it which means you know you can um, you can test a Svelte app, you can test a view app, you can test any app. And then component testing. Um, component testing, you can only test on view, React, and Svelte because component testing uses Vite under the hood to add the preview bundle to be able to see the components and it, to bundle them. So that's what Vite supports. So that's why it doesn't support other frameworks because it basically it's based on Vite. But the end-to-end one supports absolutely everything, right? And you know, you can test any website and you can also emulate like Safari mobile. Um, so you can emulate a mobile device and test on on mobile devices as well once it's like an emulation, right? I, I was recently working with a group. We were making a uh, Chrome extension and one of the biggest issues we came up with was like, all right, this is great, but it's basically an app. It looks like a phone app. And how, how do we test that? And the end-to-end testing framework that we were looking at at the time, which is like very difficult to get set up with a mobile testing. So this is something that we can use now, uh, a mobile test. 
yeah, like you just you just go into the Playwright config and you can just like, you know, select WebKit and it will emulate it, right? So it's not like right. you can't go to your mobile phone. It's emulating it in the browser, but it takes the user agent, everything else that goes with that emulation and, and runs it as if it is on a mobile device. And to throw out the note there, if anybody wants Playwright to work with another front end framework for the component testing, the secret here is to make Vite work. You make Vite, <laughs> yeah. plug it, go make a PR, figure it out, make Vite work for something else. Really massive undertaking there, but you know, it'd be great. Um, so of the issues that are sort of being raised, or not, I will say GitHub suggestions and issues and, and all those things, what is something that got worked on recently that you think the community got really excited about? Um, that's a great question. There's there's so much. Um, so I don't know. I know. It's like, what's your favorite band yeah. sort of question? But. Like the Trace viewer has like evolved a hell of a lot recently, right? And I really love the kind of work that's gone into that. Um, the test generator as well. But I think my favorite is probably the VS Code extension because relatively in the last couple of weeks, uh, the newer version is what shows the browser. So before you would run the test and it would just go green and you'd be like, okay, it's green, but did that really work? What happened? Whereas actually being able to show the browser and I'm still in VS Code, all I'm doing now is pressing play like I did before and it opens that browser and it like super fast goes through all the steps. And that makes me confident that yes, I, that test actually worked because I saw it, even though like Playwright tell me it worked, but I didn't believe it because I didn't see it. And we're a bit like that, aren't we? If we don't, see it we don't believe it <laughs> yeah we're human beings that's right so yeah that's probably one of my favorite is the the vs code extension but um but yeah so much has been there's so much work being done it's like uh, it's insane what, what's something being done right now like if people were to go poke around the repo that's and maybe overly ambitious <laughs> something really cool I'll, I'll tell you something i want that uh, that i should be starting but um this might not take it might take a while but um what i want is on the test generator is the web first assertions to actually be there as well. So when you're, when I said about clicking, right, and then you have to go and um, modify that test, I would love it to actually generate the assertions. That would be incredible. That's something that, you know, can be worked on, will be worked on, um, but there's, you know, a list of things to be done. But yeah, that would be super helpful. So that, it, that will come, it will come. It will come, okay. Um... Speaking of assertions, what are, I feel like assertion libraries, they have almost like a cult following sometimes. Like there's some people that swear by one assertion library and it's like, this is just the way they use it. Um, and it's, there's some special things in these assertion libraries. Like, oh, I really like the way you can like check string fuzzy matching with this one or something. The The assertion library that, that Playwright uses, is it homegrown? Are you plugging from somewhere else? And do you feel like it's, know ample enough to really do everything that you need to do and are there any things that you love about the assertion library so it's using jest under the hood right so you've got like all the, okay. yeah yeah so so it means like you know to be visible to be checked all that kind of stuff um but what gets on top of that is the whole await issue right so it's auto weights all these you don't have to add in timeouts you don't have to manually do anything it's just going to auto wait and make sure that selector is on the page and then it's going to say, yeah, it's here, it's ready to be checked, it's ready to be clicked, etc. So it's kind of like extra powerful on top of the... Um... So it's using like the power that we love of Jest, but we're not dealing with lifecycle execution stuff. That's being taken care of by Playwright, and they're really just using the linguistic pieces of Jest that we're used to. Okay, gotcha. I guess you could say that, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, you're excited, you're excited to hopefully get the assertions. So that that's, if we, uh, generate a test right off the bat, those assertions will just be kind of like roped right in. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Because I think it will help people be write better tests. Cause one of the things we're seeing is that people are writing tests, but they're not using the correct selectors or the, or the best assertions. Right. And then they're going to add in timeouts in because things break and a lot of timeout. And what if they choose, um, better assertions, better selectors from the start. And if we can educate people by using like the generator, I feel will help educate people. So then when they click something, it's like, oh, this is the way I should write my test. And from there, they can go on writing tests, but now they're in a habit of doing the web assertions first, right? It's all about habits. <laughs> it's all about habits. I can't I, I can't disagree, Debbie. <laughs> uh, so I know you also have a uh, YouTube channel where you post helpful developer content. And I don't know, there were some like really friendly welcoming videos there, um, introducing people to some concepts. Do you have playwright videos there? I actually didn't see one when I just was first poking around. I know, I know. I, I actually literally created one today. And then like, I'm like, you know, watching it. And I'm like, Oh, my God, is it good enough? Did I do it? Okay, I made a mistake. Should I record it? <laughs> so it's kind of like, um, sometimes we kind of like just think too much. Um, but yeah, the idea is to get those videos out as soon as possible. I've got a lot of kind of conference stuff coming up. And as soon as that's out of the way, I'm going to concentrate on videos, get them out on YouTube, um, hopefully onto the Playwright YouTube channel. So you can follow that channel. And the idea is to create loads of um, free content on there. Awesome. So this video is going to end up on the Playwright YouTube channel. Unless it's not good enough and that ends up <laughs> Okay. And just in case, what, what again is the name of your channel? If people want to go find some extra content. Um, just go to Debbie.codes and then like all the links are there. It's easier. Yeah. I'm just moving into this section of the podcast. I wanted to point people in some direction if they wanted to either read about Playwright, watch about Playwright or start tooling right now with Playwright, where could we send them? So watching the Playwright YouTube channel, Debbie's YouTube channel, possibly in the future. There's also other great stuff there. You should definitely check out. On the yeah, so on the docs we have a community section. So if you click on the community link, it will open up. You'll see all our ambassadors. We have some amazing ambassadors who are also creating content, and you can follow them. And you can you know like I'm not creating .NET content, but we have an ambassador who is. So that's the person you should go to for some .NET videos, for example. Um, and then we have any conference talks from myself or other people who have spoken at conferences um, who are advocates or working on Playwright, their videos are there. So you can watch previous conference talks um, and you can watch some of the, the release videos every month. There's new release from Playwright. There's new things happening and you can basically like watch and see what was new and catch up on, you know, what you missed. <laughs> if, you, if you miss it, then you're like, there's two months of stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, so much cool stuff has happened. <laughs> so this is on the Playwright website on their docs page. We can, that's yeah, like the next on playwright.dev and click the community tab and everything's there. And we'll keep building that up. We're going to do some case studies as well and like have some stories of like what people are doing in Playwright, how they're using it and their journey in Playwright. And yeah, just kind of make it very community-based so we can learn from each other. And does that uh, playwright.dev site have any avenues for people to come contribute themselves? I, aside from like the GitHub repo, you know, like forums to talk about, um, like places to ask for help. Yeah, so um, the docs in itself for contributions, we've had some people doing some amazing contributions to docs and creating some, you know, new pages for us and modifying that. So, you know, totally up for helping in the docs and making it better. And then there is a community Slack channel. So if we do have kind of questions and stuff, there's a lot of people in the community there um, and people are very active. So it's really cool 
uh, throw your question there and you're, you're sure you're going to get help from someone in the community. And people can find the Slack from the playwright.dev site, correct? Correct. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Um, well, Debbie, thank you for your time and coming on and hoping, helping us all revisit testing because it's something, as you said, it's a habit that we, we should all be exercising. Five minutes. I'm telling everyone, just take five minutes out of your day. Try out Playwright just in VS Code. Give it a go. See what you think. Tell me on Twitter what you think. And I'm sure you're going to love it. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'm not sure if we... Uh... Yeah, so Debs, D-E-B-S underscore O'Brien is my Twitter handler. And I pretty much live on Twitter. So you'll, you'll see me a lot there. And I'll, I tweet about Playwright. I also tweet about running and cycling and doing all sorts of sports. So um, uh, definitely follow me for any sort of crazy content on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, for serotonin and development. Perfect. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, Debbie, thank you for your time. And hopefully, yeah, some people are just going to VS Code. Five minutes, check it out. Um, I know I will be because I need to add alt text to my images. Yes, That's what I, I want today. So, there we go. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, Debbie. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.